Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. We've been doing this study on the life of Joseph. Part one was looking at Joseph's brother's envy, and uh, we learned, by their example, what not to do. Last week, we saw Joseph's character amidst the struggle. He just kept honoring God despite all the bad things that were happening to him. Uh, And that was a good lesson for us to learn. Now, today, we will conclude the series and see what God is doing through it all. So his brothers were doing this, Joseph was doing this, and here's what God was doing. We briefly mentioned how Joseph had dreams that seemed to be prophetic. His symbolic dream portrayed his entire family bowing down to him. And for this reason, his brothers hated him, one of many reasons. Uh, But while he was in prison, and that's where we left him last week, remember he was in prison, uh, two other fellas, two other prisoners had dreams. These two guys were put into prison by Pharaoh, and they were troubled by their dreams. So we're in Genesis chapter 40, even though we're studying the book of Hebrews, and we're going to do a lot of Genesis today. So get your Bible out and follow along. Lots to read. So we're in chapter 40. And um, verse number one. So came about after all these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with these two officials, the cupbearer and the chief baker. So we put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. He took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, both were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in confinement in the master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me. Okay, so a little bit of teaching on the topic of dreams before we get into the specifics of this dream. God used dreams and visions several times in the Bible to communicate to his people. God used visions in the Old Testament to reveal his plan, to further his plan, and to put his people in places of influence. We have been seeing this through the study of Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. Also, we know many of the prophets. Samuel spoke to him in the sleep, and Daniel All kinds of interesting visions. This was when the word of God was not yet complete. Uh, We know the Old Testament was completed with the last prophet being Malachi. That's right. Then there was a time of silence, 400 years without any revelations that we know of. But then started back up again. God starts speaking to people through dreams and visions and sending angels with messages. Visions in the New Testament were providing new revelations. God used visions and dreams to identify the Messiah and to establish the church. Examples of people who had dreams, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, Joseph, Mary, our whole Christmas story, bang, all these dreams and visions and angels. 
John the Baptist, the new prophet, all in preparation for Jesus, who himself was the word incarnate. While Jesus was ministering, God in the flesh, he was speaking to the people just like I'm speaking with you today, just right here now, talking directly to you. After Jesus ascended, God went back to speaking to people in dreams, giving them instructions. Ananias, go visit Paul. Cornelius, go find Peter. Peter, stop being so stubborn. John, here's an entire book of Revelation. Write this all down. However, with the completion of the Bible, God does not have to use dreams and visions as much as he did before. Now we have a copy of his word. That's not to say that he cannot or he does not. God can communicate to, communi to speak to us however he chooses. In places in the world, in cultures where the word of God is illegal and the gospel is not preached, we get word that God today is using dreams to call people to faith in Jesus just by breaking into their world to talk to them. God calls people to himself in visions. Our great privilege is to have and to hold the word of God and we can read it as often as we choose and we can know in detail God's mind by studying and meditating on his word. And his word tells us, one of the things it says in the last days, Acts chapter two, this should be in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions and your old men will have dreams. And even on my male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, sun turned to darkness, moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord's coming. And it shall be everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the word of the Lord declares that dreams and visions will be a part of what he's doing in the last days. So we believe he does these things. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in the things of a spiritual nature. That being said, there is a fine line that we must walk when it comes to the supernatural. The Holy Spirit is real and ever-present and at work. We do not want to be guilty of quenching the Spirit but we also have clear interpretation, clear instructions that we ought to test all the spirits. John said, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have come into the world. So here at Faith Bible Church, we want to be sensitive to the spirits leading, open to visions and burdens that people feel they have from the Lord. Some of us do believe that we heard the Lord speak to us in our sleep. We do believe God has inspired us to say things on his behalf. But whatever we feel is a personal calling, we also submit these ideas to the authority and the institution that Jesus established here in the church. He said he founded his church in Matthew chapter 16. You're Peter, and on this rock, I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the commission the doctrine, the leadership of the church is all built and backed by the word of God. So the callings that we feel we have from God are to be confirmed by the authority that is invested in the church. The callings and the feelings we have that we think are from God 
it has to be confirmed by the authority that is vested in the church. And I'm very thankful and I'm very pleased to report that all of the ministries that we are partnering with and supporting, they continue to maintain a good working relationship with the spiritual leaders of our church. And we affirm their visions and we support their mission because we do believe they are biblically based and they're working in conjunction with our great commission. Now that isn't to say we never disagree with some of the day and today decisions and the individual choices that some of our partners may make. We don't even agree with every program that we initiate. Greg and I could give you a whole list of things that we've tried and later said, I don't know if that was such a great idea. Let's pivot from that ministry idea. You know, let's try something else. It isn't that it was an idea that was contrary to the word of God or disobedient, but maybe it's just not as effective as we thought it'd be. So some folks in here today, they come up with really cool ideas and sometimes we give them a go. And other times we say, I don't know if that's really something we want to explore. I, I, we might have our, our doubts on that particular vision. But we re, you might really believe, well, this, this is from God. I, I really felt that that was from God. Okay, well, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Just remember, God has given authority to the church leadership to lead and to determine and rule on who and what the church does. So... One of the passages that we look to is the instructions that Paul gave Timothy when he was telling them how to do church. He said, uh, those who continue in sin, rebuke present in front of all, so the rest will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias. Do nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too quickly, thereby sharing responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. There is a process of laying on of the hands, ordaining who was to be the elder of the church. And this is what Paul and all the apostles did in every town. That was their practice everywhere as they went. So think about it. Anyone could just come in here at Faith Bible Church and we do this fun thing. And uh, it's very interesting. New people will tell me, man, that's, I've never seen that before. That's really, I really like that. Did you just send the microphones out there and everybody talks. But also, what's one of the concerns about that? Anybody can get the mic and say, oh, I have a word from the Lord for you this morning and I have a vision and I have this dream and we're, that's, thus says the Lord, this and that and the other thing. And uh, that wouldn't be acceptable because we know according to God's word, not everyone claiming to be led of the Spirit is actually led of the Spirit. And thus God has given us the authority to confirm or deny, to accept or reject all these visions. And I understand that this is, you know, a little bit in the weeds this morning, but I think this is important that you understand some of the specifics of these things. I'm kind of sharing with you now, I'm opening up the inner workings of the leadership so you can see what are the philosophies that govern what we're doing and why we're doing them. So in order to be in leadership at Faith Bible Church, you don't just, you know, walk in and grab a mic and say, uh, God told me to do this. Right? There's actually some processes in place. There's a, a membership class. Steve, just congratulations, just finished the membership class and get a membership. And in that class, covered all the doctrines, uh, what we believe and uh, what we expect a church membership to, a member to do. And then they sign their name agreeing. Uh, once they've gone through the class, they sign, everybody signs their name agreeing. I, first of all, have committed my life to Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in him for salvation, confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart, Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. 
Second of all, the members have said, I, I have taken the step of obedience to be baptized uh, as modeled by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he got baptized and as instructed by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 uh, in the big sermon in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Uh, everybody was there, there and they heard his sermon and they were cut to the heart and, and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, well, men and brethren, what should we do? And, Je and Peter said, you are to repent and then let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. So you'll receive the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So that's the second step of being a member. You get baptized. And then third, when you sign off, you're going to check, I agree to abide by the membership agreement, as Brian Nevola taught me in the class. After that step, we would expect to see someone show a level of faithfulness and attending and service to the body of Christ. And once we've seen a pattern of faithfulness and godly behavior, we would then be prepared to entertain the idea that you would have some vision from the Lord. But we'd want to hear all about it and discuss it and pray about it. And we want to search the scriptures and see if it's consistent with the revealed word of God. Anyone who is in a position of leadership has been scrutinized and evaluated in this church. They're in there. If you're in a ministry, if you're leading uh, you have been scrutinized and you've been evaluated. All callings from God that people feel they have have to be confirmed by the church leadership. That's not Pastor Rob's process. That's God's process. Why is it necessary? Because it protects us from false teachers and false teaching. It re retards the rise of bad leadership. It staves off the wolves in sheep's clothing and to let you know, they do come knocking from time to time. You don't necessarily know about them because it's always like me who's taking them on. And uh, I'm the one who kind of slams the door in their faces. And I'm the one who decides if their intentions are good or dangerous to the body of Christ. Consequently, I'm the one who gets angry emails, harassing text messages, crazy phone calls. I get called names, accused of being a dictator. I've even been compared to Hitler. But that's okay, because that's the part of my job as being the pastor, the elder's job. We have to hold the standard, because in this day and age where people are enthralled with the mystic and the novel, people crave emotional experiences and exciting events, and the ministry, the spiritual, can be exciting and emotional, but not all things exciting and emotional are spiritual. Not all visions are from God. The narrative passages, the story of Joseph is telling us what God did and how he used the dreams in the life of Joseph. But it is not telling us that this is likewise what God will specifically do in our lives. Could he use dreams and visions to speak to us? I just want to see if you, you're following me. Yes, he could. But also, most definitely, he will use the Bible and the people of God to speak to you. And all of these voices need to harmonize. So listen carefully. Walk away with this right here. If the vision and the dream contradicts the word of God, if the spiritual leader contradicts the word of God, if the church denomination, policy and procedure manual, traditions, even a doctrinal statement contradicts the word of God. The word of God is the final authority. Not elders, not Pastor Rob, not your feelings. 
The written word of God is the final authority. God spoke to Joseph in dreams. That's recorded in the inspired word of God. And that's different than someone feeling God spoke to them in a dream. Clear? Okay, good. All right, back to Joseph and dreams. So here's what's happened. Uh, the cupbearer's dream, chapter 40, verse number uh, 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And that was his dream. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to your former customs when you were a cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer is a pretty important position. Basically, he protects the king's cup from getting poisoned. And this guy's going to get his old job back, and that's good news for the cupbearer. And maybe that would be good news for Joseph, because he now has someone in Pharaoh's court. This guy could put a good word in with Pharaoh uh, for Joseph and maybe get him out of prison. All right. So the baker, verse 16, the baker saw that he had interpreted favorably. So he says to Joseph, oh, I also saw my dream and behold, there was three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there was some of all sorts of big goods for Pharaoh and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of the three baskets or three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh off of you. Well, bad news for the baker. But, you know, these are just dreams. And well, Joseph's just some guy he met in prison. So, you know, maybe he's just full of it. Verse 20. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Bad news for the baker. And also bad news for Joseph. The cupbearer forgets about Joseph, and he just stays in jail for actually two more years. Thanks for nothing. But then, two years later, chapter 41, Pharaoh has some dreams. Let's read those dreams. Now it happened, chapter 41, verse 1, at the end of the two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marshlands. Now behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly, gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Behold, seven years of grain came up on the single stalk, plump and good. And I just like to observe. I kind of like that plump and good are synonymous there. So anyways. Then behold, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the plump and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. Behold, it was a dream. 
Now in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh and said, uh, I would like to make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a young a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we relayed them to him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each of us interpreted according to his own dream and just as he interpreted for us, it also happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. I have heard it said about you that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So let me make an uh, application based on some details here. Joseph helped the cupbearer, and he seemingly got nothing for it. But it's really going to pay off, you're going to see, two years later. My thought here is there are times when we will use our gifts and our talents to help people simply because we can. Uh, we will do it for free. We will do it to cut them a break, to make their lives better. Uh, we will do it out of the goodness of our hearts. And we may think, they forgot about me. They, uh, I helped them out, and, and what did I get in return for my efforts? Nothing. How disrespectful. Be patient, my friends. There is a principle of sowing and reaping that is at work in all of our lives. And the principle says, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. When you sow goodness and generosity, love and benevolence, you will reap eventually way more in return. People will remember the good you did for them and they will want to help you receive good in return. It just may take some time to come about. But if you're always in the what's in it for me frame of mind, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. So what's what happens to Joseph? So Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream. Not only can Joseph interpret the dream, he also knows exactly what should be done with the information. So let's pick it up in verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after the set them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I spoke to Pharaoh, God has also shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming to the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So, 
The abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it, it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. Now, let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let him gather all the food for these good years that are coming, store it up, the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are, you shall take over my house and according to your command, all my people shall do homage only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him with a garment of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one will raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Wow, just like that, Joseph goes from being a slave, a prisoner, to the second most powerful person in the entire kingdom. And just like Joseph was good at managing Potiphar's house and the jail, Joseph's good at managing all the land of Egypt. God blesses and prospers Joseph's work. They store grain up in the bountiful seven years. And then as they have, it has an abundance, all saved up for when the lean years come. Now let's talk about economics for a moment, shall we? There were seven years of abundance. What happens when there is a huge supply and abundance of product? It drives prices down, doesn't it? Because everyone's growing corn and everyone has a great harvest and it's everywhere and you can't eat it all because there's so much of it and there's so little demand and that just means the prices will be low. And for seven years when the produce is in abundance, Joseph is buying low. Then when the famine hits, and nobody has any food, Joseph has the monopoly on all the food, which means he can sell high. And boy, does he sell high. Chapter 47, verse 13. I told you we'd do a lot of chapters today. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was so severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Chapter 47, verse 14. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? Our money's all gone. And Joseph said, Well, give up your livestock. 
and I'll give you food for your livestock since your money's all gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and their flocks and their herds and their donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. That's year two. When the year was ended, there came to him the next year and said, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There's nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food and we give and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die and the land will not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because of the famine was so severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Wow. Did you see that? Verse 19, buy us and buy our land for food. Do you see what he did? Nobody has any property. It all belongs to Pharaoh, which means what? Everyone works for Pharaoh, which means what? Pharaoh owns and controls everything and everyone. Hmm. That sounds like quite an ideal event for Pharaoh. Not so good for the people. Well, good thing we don't live way back then. Our leaders would never want to see something like that happen to our country. I'm just letting you marinate on that for a minute. So, the funny thing about knowing your Bible is when you see something happening in the world, in geopolitics, in global economics, you can make sense of it because you've seen it before. As Solomon says, there's nothing New under the sun. We got to raise the debt ceiling. We're running out of money. Raise the debt ceiling. I'm, I'm doing two sides here, right? I'm over here on the left. We got to raise the debt ceiling. Run out of money. Now I'm over here on the right. Raise the debt ceiling. Are you stupid? We're $32 trillion in debt. Why would you want to raise it? Well, they're not stupid. It's intentional. It's the Clower and Piven strategy. Write that down. You might want to look that up. Clower and Piven, created in 1966 by academics in Columbia University. The vision is to break the economy so that it can be reset, which is exactly what the globalists want with their great reset agenda. They want a new world order where you don't own anything. The bureaucrats own it all. They control it all. You're going to get a basic living income. You'll get digital money connected to your digital account. You won't have to worry about anything. You'll have your guaranteed annual income and all it'll cost you is your freedom. Just like Genesis 47. They will automatically just give you money but if you don't do what they say, they can click, turn the money off. If you don't accept the Great Reset, their one world government, their one world religion, their global digital currency, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy or sell. And now those of you who've read Revelation know exactly what I'm quoting. 
Joseph can buy up all the farmland because everyone's broke and they need the government to survive. And the feds today are making our dollar worthless so they can break the system and bring in a new one that they have control of everything. They want what Joseph got for Pharaoh. Total ownership, total control. And then Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. And nobody dared argue with any of his proclamations because their lives depended on their absolute blind obedience. And this is how all of the ancient empires were in the ancient world. All of the rulers wanted to be declared deity and glorified as such. And this is what Joseph built for Egypt. And this is what is being built before our very eyes. And they're going to get it. Don't kid yourself. The Great Reset, the New World Order, it's going to happen. It's all written right here in the books of prophecy, in Daniel, in Revelation. Solomon said, what was before is happening again. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, in the short term, this was really great for Joseph because he has all this power and wealth and even great for his family because they too were suffering with the famine. So his brothers come to Egypt to buy food. And when they come, guess who's selling them the food? Little brother Joseph, who they sold into slavery. Oh, talk about awkward. But they don't recognize him now because he's not 14 any year, years old anymore. And he's now dressing and acting like Egyptian royalty. So what do you do before royalty when your life depends on their favor? You bow down to them. Just like Joseph's dream when he was a little kid prophesied, all of his brothers come and bow down to Joseph. So I won't get into the long story of how Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers. I'll give you the short version. Basically, after a series of tests where Joseph wanted to see if they changed and were legitimately humble, Joseph was satisfied that they had matured from being petty bullies. Then he reveals himself to his brothers and to their shock and awe. They were scared of him because, after all, they did sell him into slavery. But look at what Joseph says to them in chapter 45, Genesis 45, verses 4 through 11. It's the big reveal. After all these tests, Joseph says to his brothers, 45, chapter 45, verse 4, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. The famine has been in the land these two years and there's still five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all the, his household and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me a lord in all of Egypt. Come down to me. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You, your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, you and your household, and all that you would have been impoverished. So the family moves to Egypt and was saved from the famine. And Jacob was reunited with his lost son, and Joseph gave him the land of Goshen, this great piece of property to live on. And all was good. And even after Father Jacob died, the brothers were, were nervous again, and they're thinking, well, yeah, now that dad's dead, Joseph, he's going to take revenge on us. And, but again, look at chapter 50 
uh, verse number 15. Chapter 50, 15, Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. And they're like, oh, why did Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept. When they spoke to him, then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. This statement, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is an important biblical principle that we need to learn and always keep in mind. Romans chapter 8, 28, Paul says, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. It's just at the time it doesn't feel good. Slavery didn't feel good. Being a prisoner didn't feel good. And when we look at our society, where it's going, the destruction of our nation, it doesn't look or feel good. It looks like chaos and pain and a great tribulation. Well, yes, that is on the horizon, most assuredly. Aren't you glad I'm brutally honest? <laughs> Aren't you glad I don't preach peace and safety when destruction is fast approaching? It's good that we took time to study the faith of Joseph because likewise for us, there is an intentional evil coming straight at us. But here's the thing. We don't need to fear it because we know what is meant for evil, God's going to use it for good. And there's plenty of more evil coming Israel's way by moving to Egypt. They, they, they already was revealed, remember? God told Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will serve them and they'll be afflicted them for 400 years. And also the nation whom I, they serve, I will judge afterwards. They shall come out with great possessions. So guess what is next for the nation of Israel living nice and comfy in Egypt? What's coming? Oppression and slavery. 400 years of it. Oh, that sounds bad. Yes, it is. But the same principle applies. What is intended for evil, God's going to use it for good. This is a reoccurring theme in the Bible. And this is what the Hebrew audience, we're still studying the book of Hebrews, Pastor Rob? Yes, we're still studying the book of Hebrews. The Hebrew audience in New Testament was experiencing intense persecution and they needed to hear this message do you remember what was happening to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem in the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews? They were being attacked, ridiculed, arrested, losing their business, their livelihood. It was so bad, they were selling their stuff and they were fleeing from Jerusalem. They were, run, they were being run out of town. Oh, that's horrible. No, that was good. Wait, what? Why? Because the book of Hebrews was written in the year 65 to 68 AD. The Jewish Christians sold their homes and businesses, fled Jerusalem, and that was good because in 70 AD, the Roman Empire came in and ah, 
completely destroyed the city and the temple and killed everyone who was there. And if those Christians would have been there, they would have been all dead. But they weren't. They were spread out all over the whole world. And when they spread out out of Jerusalem, the whole world, what did they take with them? The gospel of Jesus Christ went to the whole world. So many of us here at Faith Bible Church, we're not from here, are we? Many of us came here because work dried up where we used to live. We came here out of necessity. Some of you coasted into town on fumes after the financial beating you took in the last recession. That was kind of our situation. We got here. But the adversity that pushed us down here, God has used it to bring us together to do great things for his honor and glory. And I thank God for all the challenges that pushed the McNutts to this place. What ha has it done for us? Like Joseph it ought to strengthen our faith. We want our faith to be strong in the Lord. After all, you are Faith Bible Church, right? That's part of your culture and heritage of this church that you're now part of. Steve, you and everybody else just became members. This is your heritage. This is your culture. The, one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews and the whole New Testament is the just shall I got to hammer this home. You guys should know this like that. The just shall live by faith. Not the just shall live by their education and their personal knowledge. They shall live by their savvy investments. The just shall live by their ability to vote the right people into office and their ability to band together to boycott corporations that offend them. I mean, that's all well and good for the short term, but in the days of evil that are coming, the evil is going to get stronger and stronger. The oppression heavier and heavier. And when it all comes, what we'll see you through, what we must never abandon is our faith, our hope in God who is going to win out in the end. Jesus is coming back and he is going to rule. So for you today and tomorrow and the months ahead, whatever befalls you, hold on to this. What the enemy intends for evil, God will turn it for good. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word, for these truths, these principles. As we see them in the beginning in Genesis, we know they're coming through in the end in Revelation. And there we will be waiting for you, trusting in you. You said, behold, I come quickly. We know what you're going to do. We know what the plan is. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, we wait for you. May our faith be strengthened. May it be founded on you. May we not be withering away in the hard times. May we not fall like many will in the last days. May we stand true and firm on your word as the foundation in our hope of eternity. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.